I have been waiting to act like a T-Rex in church <laughs> for 35 years. Today my dream came true. Big head and little arms, that like describes me. Like that's my whole life. And so just, man, this, today's my day. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have done that. All right, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to get to open God's word with you this morning. I, I wanted to share with you guys uh, something that hit me. I, I feel like the Lord brought this to mind while we were worshiping this morning. Um, we were singing a song, and I just sensed the presence of Jesus, like, walking through the aisles. And, and he kind of gave me a glimpse of his pleasure that he takes in us when we gather and do this. And when we gather and submit ourselves to his word. And so if you haven't come in this morning thinking that way or feeling that, maybe you're going through the motions, maybe your family got in a big fight on the way out the door like my family usually does. Where's my wife? Sorry. Um, maybe it was a struggle to get your kids up and moving like my kids typically are. There they are. Sorry, kids. Uh, the Lord takes pleasure in our gathering. He takes pleasure in our worship. And he takes pleasure when we stop and submit ourselves to his word this morning. So if you haven't come in thinking that, maybe now you are. My name's Josh. I get to share God's word with you. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, we have a couple of announcements. First of all, tonight is Gospel Community Night, 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. We're going to watch episode six of The Chosen. We'll have some light refreshments. Family, please, families, please do bring your kids. We want to encourage whole families to come out and join us for this. This is more like a family movie night than a private screening where you've got to make sure that we're all nice and quiet and well-behaved and all of that good stuff. This is a family movie night, and I don't know about you, but family movie nights in my home are not quiet. Right? We don't stay sitting down, and we actually miss the movie most of the time because we're up and down with the kids. But anyways, yeah, come out for that 5.30 p.m. this evening. The second announcement, we're updating our Friday newsletter mailing list. Uh, I left my card, I think. Anyway, we're, we're update. there we go. We're updating our Friday newsletter mailing list. Two years ago when COVID shut everything down and we weren't having services, we put everybody that was in our database on our mailing list to get our Friday newsletters. Some of you are like, Friday newsletters? Yeah, you haven't been opening them. Uh, no kidding. So um, if you want to continue to receive the Friday newsletter, please let us know on this card right here. We're rebuilding that list. And if you don't sign up for it, we're not going to put you on the list because we don't want to be sending you emails that you don't want to get. We don't want to fill up your inbox unnecessarily with, uh, with stuff that, that isn't relevant for you or, th or that you don't need. So if you want to keep getting it, please do sign up for that. Finally, Daylight Savings Time is next Sunday, March 13th. You lose an hour of sleep. Yeah, all right. So don't forget to move your clocks ahead or you will um, be late to, uh, to church or early. Which one is it? You'll be one of them. I don't know. All right. This week we're continuing our series through the one another's of the New Testament called All Alone, Following Jesus Together. We're looking at the one another's, that, that word all alone is, is the Greek word that's translated as one another. And these are exhortations found throughout the New Testament that tell believers how we are supposed to relate to one another. They tell us what kinds of relationships we're supposed to have, the kinds of things that are to mark our relationships with one another. That word all alone is a good reminder for English speakers because you can't follow Jesus uh, boy, you guys did a good job. Yeah, you can't follow Jesus 
all alone. We need each other, and specifically, we need to relate to each other in certain kinds of ways if we as a faith family are going to fulfill what God wants for us, what God wants from us, the kind of family that God wants us to be. The one another we're looking at this morning is found in Romans 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 16. Go ahead and read that with me. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Live in harmony with one another. It probably comes as no surprise to you that there is often discord within the church. Some of the deepest wounds that have ever been inflicted on me came from people who were part of my spiritual family. Maybe that's been your experience too. If it hasn't been your experience, I bet you at least know somebody who uh, can, can sympathize with that or someone who has sensed that or felt that before. Yet scripture commands that we live in harmony with one another. And I want to address this verse this morning under two different headings. The first is going to be a question, what does it mean to live in harmony? Like what is Paul getting at when he says you guys should live in harmony together? Because I think what Paul means is a little bit different than what the world means when it says harmony. They're two very, very different things. Then we're going to look at two problems within our hearts that tend to derail the harmony that we would otherwise have or could otherwise have and enjoy in this faith family. So the first question, what does it mean to live in harmony with one another? And I want to start out by saying what harmony is not. Harmony is not, let's all gather together around a bonfire and sing Kumbaya. That might be part of it, but that's not what harmony is. Harmony is not we, we set aside our, our grudges and our anger with one another. We just kind of stick it in our back pocket. We, we hide it. We keep it tucked away so that when we're together, it looks like there's peace. We have smiles on our faces, but in reality, we, we kind of hate each other. We kind of can't stand to spend time with each other. That's not harmony. Outward peace is not what Paul is getting at. And harmony does not mean that we forget all about our differences and assimilate into the culture machine and reject anything that would make us any different. That is, uh, harmony is not, well, you're a member of a church now, you're part of a church, so you need to dress this way, vote this way, listen to this kind of music, do these kinds of things, uh, like this kind of stuff, do these kinds of hobbies, find these kinds of things interesting. That's harmony. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not the kind of harmony that that Paul is getting at. In fact, what Paul has in mind here is much more difficult than those kinds of harmony. So what's he getting at? A more literal translation of this text would be something like this. Be of the same mind toward one another. That live in harmony, that be of the same mind. That word mind is the Greek word phroneo. It's a really interesting word. Um, what it, it carries, it's often translated to think or, or have this mind, but its meaning also includes your feelings and your ambitions, right? Like your, your sentiments and your opinions, your inclinations towards certain things or away from certain things or people. This isn't foreign to us, this idea of thinking and feeling wrapped up together in one word. I remember being at a bowling alley uh, in 2007, <clears throat> And a young lady came and sat down next to me. I was bowling at this one station. Another group of people from our college was at this other station. And she comes and sits down next to me and she says, what do you think of Tiffany? She's sitting right there, so you can tell, right? 
What do you think of Tiffany? And I didn't say, well, I think she's about uh, 18 years old. She's five foot four-ish, brown hair. Uh, yeah. No, she, she meant like, what do, you, what do you think of Tiffany, right? Like she, she meant, what do, you, what do you think about her? Like how do, you, how do you feel about her? She's trying to be a matchmaker. That's how freneo works. When it says think, it means how do you think and feel all the stuff wrapped into it? How, how does your whole self feel towards something, think about something? And so Paul commands, be of the same mind toward one another. Think the same way about one another. He's calling us to unity in the way that in, in the way we as the body of Christ think and feel towards guess who? One another. He's commanding us to feel and think a certain way, a specific way, to have a specific kind of sentiment and opinion about one another. In fact, here's how he puts it just a few chapters later in Romans 15, chapter chapter 15, verse 5. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Did Did you catch that? Have the have the same attitude, have the same mind toward one another, same words, feel towards one another, think about one another the way that Christ thinks and feels towards you all. That should give us pause. Paul is saying we are to think and feel toward one another like the way that Jesus does. That I should think and feel about you like Jesus thinks and feels about you. We are to collectively have a mindset towards one another that says, this is a person made in the image of God. So when, I, when I look at you, I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't see your faults. I shouldn't see your problems. I shouldn't see your issues. I shouldn't see the things that annoy me. When I look at you, first and foremost, what I should see is, this is a person made in the image of God. This is a person deemed highly valued by God. This is a person held in high esteem by Christ. This is someone who is, despite all of their shortcomings, is clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus if they are part of the family of God. This is a person worth laying down my life for. Right? Like that's how Jesus thought about us. And Paul says, have that mindset towards one one another. Excuse me. How often do we really think and feel toward one another like Jesus feels towards us and thinks about us? How often do we think a person isn't worthy of our time? How often have you thought of so-and-so in the body who is a lost cause? How often have you tried to avoid that person because they kind of annoy you? How long have you allowed grudges and strife in a relationship to just sit there and simmer and continue to wound you and the other person rather than viewing them like Christ does us, rather than going to them like Christ has done us, rather than forgiving them like Christ does us, rather than loving them like Christ does us. Paul says we have to put all that stuff away. We have to be of the same mind toward one another. We have to think and feel toward one another like Jesus does. And despite this command, we get it wrong a lot. One of the things that jumped out of this passage to me this week was actually something that wasn't there. 
when I look at living in harmony with each other, and I, I see Paul say, be of the same mind toward one another, he doesn't follow it up with conflict resolution skills. He doesn't tell me how to deal with that difficult person who's causing me issues. He doesn't tell me about how to heal that tension in that relationship or, or a couple of steps of putting up with, for putting up with people that I don't like. When Paul commands harmony, he doesn't tell us how to handle other people. He tells us how to handle ourselves. When there's dissension, Paul says, no, no, you start with you where harmony doesn't exist. From this, I take it that when it comes to living in harmony with others, we are often our own worst enemy. We are very often the problem. The behavior of my brothers and sisters in Christ is not often the primary problem when harmony is absent. When harmony is absent, it's often because I've let something get in the way of thinking and feeling toward that person like Jesus does. If I'm harboring a grudge against you, if I'm trying to avoid you, if you annoy me really, really badly, no one in here does. First service, a little different story. No, I'm kidding. Uh, if, if that's how I feel toward you, then it's a sign that I just don't quite understand the way Jesus loves you and the way Jesus sees you and the way Jesus thinks about you. I'm letting other things get in the way. And in verse 16, Paul warns against two especially destructive enemies of harmony, both of which start in our hearts rather than in the hearts of others. Here's what he says, two enemies of harmony. First of all, the first enemy is contempt, thinking or, thinking or feeling as if others are beneath us. Verse 16, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. That word lowly could be referring to lowly people or lowly tasks. The text isn't really clear, but what is clear is that there is a problem when we begin to think too highly of ourselves, right? When we begin to think that we are, we are up here and there are people or tasks or things that are beneath us. And the problem isn't necessarily in who or what is beneath us. The problem is where we have elevated ourselves to. The problem is we're thinking about ourselves up here where we ought not. And when we do that, we all of a sudden begin to think that people deserve less respect than we do. We begin to think that people would deserve less consideration than we do. We begin to think that people deserve less attention or care that we do. And we think that we're too important and our, our time and our goals and our ambitions and our preferences matter more than those of those around us. And this contempt that we hold people in erodes harmony because it devalues our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're haughty, we're saying that others within the faith family are not worthy of us thinking and feeling toward them like Jesus does. We've made an estimation about them that the Son of God didn't even make. He deems them worthy of his love and of his kindness and of his gentleness. But we say, nah, we we're up here. We cannot be haughty and think and feel toward one another the way that Jesus thinks and feels towards one another. The two are, are incompatible. They can't go together. So what do we do? I think we start by taking a sober assessment of ourselves. We start to, to realize just, just where we are, just where we were when Jesus found us, 
just how in need of his grace we are. We rub shoulders with those whose society might deem beneath us because we know that, as cheesy as this saying has, has been and as overused it's been, we know that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And we become a servant to others because the Son of God deemed us worthy of serving us, being a servant for our sake. And so we now serve others. And we war against that pride wherever it begins to pop up in our midst. And we don't allow it to have its way with its us-first, self-first policy. The second enemy of harmony is conceit, excessive pride in oneself. Verse 16 again. Never be wise in your own sight. One who is wise in their own eyes is convinced that they are the smartest person in the room every single time. They assume that their way of doing things is the right way of doing things every single time. They overemphasize the value that they bring to the table and underemphasize the value that others bring to the table. They are very often impressed with themselves and very rarely impressed with others. Conceit erodes harmony because the thought and esteem that we're supposed to feel and think of towards other people is turned back on ourselves. We don't have any room to esteem you highly or think of you highly because we're too busy with ourselves. We're too impressed with ourselves to be impressed with you. We're too full of ourselves to give you any of our time or attention or affection. The one who is wise in their own eyes loves and values and esteems themselves more highly than anyone else. I read an article this week that uh, served as a little bit of an assessment to, to test whether or not we are wise in our own eyes, and it was kind of like a gut punch for, for me personally. It was very difficult to, to ponder this, and so I thought I'd share it with you all so we can all have the same mind and feel equally bad about ourselves for a little bit. Uh, here it is. When disagreement or conflict arises, do you assume that you're right and the burden of proof lies with others? Now, there will be times when you are right and other people are wrong. Duh. But is your, is your reflex, is your knee-jerk reaction to assume that you're right and the burden of proof lies with others every single time? The, the author of this article said that even when you might be right, that reflex in you, that, that immediately jumping to I'm the one that's right, the other person is wrong, and I have, they have to prove me wrong for me to believe them, that reveals something about what's going on in the heart. This was really convicting for me this week. More often than I care to admit, I proceed as though my perspective is the one that sees clearly. My perspective is the one that is right. My perspective is the one that is valid. My perspective is the only one that has taken into account all of the variables. And if you disagree with me, then it's because you misunderstand something or you didn't account for something. Or, or maybe if you just give me just a second and let, you, let me flesh out my ideas for you, then you're going to agree with me. Like that's my natural assumption. Like I'll win you over. You just got to give me the time. When we're wise in our own eyes, the thought and the love and the valuing and the esteem that are supposed to be our demeanor toward one another are turned in on ourselves. And we can't rightly love and esteem and value others. When we're haughty, 
We're saying that others within the faith family are not worthy of us thinking and feeling toward them the way Jesus thinks and feels toward them. Both haughtiness and being wise in our own eyes are enemies of harmony. They cannot coexist with harmony. And as long as we allow pride like that to seep into our hearts and to dictate the way that we interact and engage with each other, we will not have the kind of harmony that Paul is talking about. We will not be able to have the same mind among ourselves because it will be slowly eaten away at by the termites of conceit and contempt. What then is the solution? What do we, what do, we do? Where do, we, where do we go from this? I mean, Paul just kind of says, don't do it. I guess I could end with don't do it. <laughs> don't be wise in your own eyes. Paul said it's good enough for him. It's good enough for me. I think the only solution to this is the gospel. Remember in Romans chapter 12, Paul can presuppose the gospel at this point because he's just spent 11 chapters clearly explaining the gospel justification by faith. Right? Knowing and feeling the gospel and its truth is the only cure. It is the thing that can undo the pride in our hearts. Knowing and feeling that left to our own devices in our own natural state, we are riddled with sin. Living in ways that are contrary to God, living in utter slavery to sin. And before we come to Christ, utterly unlovely. We have to come to terms with that. That's what the gospel reminds us of. The gospel reminds us that we have nothing to be haughty about. The gospel reminds us that we do not deserve God's kindness. We do not deserve God's friendship. We do not deserve the grace that has been extended to us. Yet in Christ, God chose to extend his grace to us. So when Paul says, have the same mind among you, yourselves, as Christ has, what he's saying is, don't look at them for what you see, like what they are. Look at them the way I see them, through the lens of grace, through the lens of compassion. God has chosen to extend his grace to us in his son. He sent Jesus to die for our sins, to put our sin to death on the cross, to pay the penalty that was ours to pay so that he might make us fellow heirs and children of God so that he may highly esteem us. And we only enter into the family of God by faith in the Son of God. And I want us to, to catch this this morning. Faith necessarily means acknowledging that we were once unlovely. Faith necessarily means that you acknowledge that you don't have it all together. Like the, thinking that you have it all together and having faith in Jesus, they don't, they don't go together. Faith in Jesus presupposes that I don't have it all together. I can't do this on my own. Faith means that we are not the smartest person in the room. In fact, it means we're not very smart at all. Faith means that we deserve only the consequences of our sin, and that is death. Faith is trusting God to receive us only because of Jesus and his love for us. So we keep the gospel at the center of all that we do, and we allow that to shape our hearts, and we allow it to put to death those enemies of harmony that would seek to rob us and our fellowship of the harmony that God intends to give to us.
toward that end, I want to take a moment here uh, to reflect. And Jeff, you can go ahead and come up if you'd like. We're all guilty of being haughty or wise in our own eyes at some point. We're just generally full of pride. So I want to take a moment as Jeff plays, and, and I want us to invite the Lord to uh, search our hearts and to speak to us about those areas in our life where contempt and where conceit have crept in. Invite him to reveal to you those areas of pride that are eating away at the harmony you could otherwise enjoy with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can do this, I want to remind you, we can do this boldly because Jesus knows us, he loves us, he's been tempted in every way as we are, though without sin. He gets it. He's, he's, he's walked in our shoes quite literally. And so we can come to him with boldness now and we can allow him to do the work in our heart and reveal those areas to us that really need to be healed. So let's just take the next couple of minutes and ask the Lord to search us. We pray with me. Lord of all unity and peace, we confess that we have sinned against you. We have allowed pride to creep into our hearts. We have been haughty 
held others in contempt, reckoned them less important, less valuable than us. We have been wise in our own eyes, convinced that we are the smartest ones in the room, esteeming ourselves more highly than others. We haven't loved each other the way that we should. We've thought more highly of ourselves than we should. We've contributed to disharmony in our family. Today we reject those things. We turn from them. We ask you to put them to death in our hearts. We ask for you to forgive us and help us to move forward with the same mind among us that Christ has toward us, that you have toward us in him. Grant us grace, Lord, to think and feel toward one another the way that we should. By the power of your spirit, would you help us to reflect in our fellowship the perfect harmony that has always existed in you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Now I want you to hear this promise. Um, this was convicting for me this week, so I'm glad I got to share it with you, get it off my chest. Now you have to deal with it. Uh, but I do want you to hear this promise from, from Scripture, from the Lord. If, if you engaged over the last couple of minutes asking him to search you and he's bringing these things to mind that are convicting, here's what he says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's a promise we can hold fast to. Now I'm going to hand it over to Wayne as he shares the second part of our sermon about living generously. Thank you, Josh. So, I hate to take away from the mood. That was very powerful. Um, as Josh mentioned, my name is Wayne. I serve um, as one of the elder overseers here. I'm not paid to be good like Josh. I'm good for nothing. <laughs> um, I'm here to talk to you this morning about uh, living generously. And when I say generosity, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Money. Money. Um, I'm not going to talk to you about money today. Um, living generously is not the same, is not equal to just giving generously. It's bigger than that. I want to I challenge us as a family as we dig into some scripture to um, be more than, do more than just put our finances on the line. Let's put our lives on the line. God's calling us to some, some, something much, much bigger. Something that's, that's sacrificial. Something that takes away from our self-focus and, and focuses on others and how we can be better together. The church is that. The church is God's plan. The church is God's desire. And it's good right? Josh talked about being hurt by the church, right? Many of us may have been hurt by the church. God's plan is perfect. We don't carry it out to perfection, uh, but we're called to, to, try to, to try to move in that direction. So that's what living generously is about today. Um, 
And I want to ask a few questions before we dive into scripture. So if you think about what things we can be generous with in our lives, what comes to mind? Time. I heard time. Absolutely. Right? So how much time do we make available to be generous towards others with? Do we fill it up with other things? I mean, some things are, we have, there's 168 hours a week. We, we have to sleep. Andy's telling us now with removing high places, we have to sleep for seven of those hours each night. That takes away quite a few already. That's 49 hours if we're living up to that. Um, I work sometimes 40, 50, 60 hours. It just all depends on the week, right? So then, then all of a sudden we look at what's left. And while some of those things are necessary, um, we might gravitate towards things we'd prefer to do on our own. What's going to fill my cup? What's going to give me rest? Um, and, and so, yes, we can be generous towards others with that time that we have. And if we're intentional to put some of that time into our schedule for generous living, um, we'll still have our hobbies. They're not going to disappear. Josh is still going to be a fisherman and a hunter. Um, others are still going to you know, do, do whatever you do, right? Athletics or uh, traveling or whatever. I mean, again, whatever, whatever you do, that's not going to stop but we need to put some of those things in our schedule intentionally. What else comes to mind? What other, what other things can we be generous with? So I, I'd say that again. Possessions, absolutely. We can share things that are ours. If we see others that are in need of something that we have, our talents, I think I heard as well, things that we're skilled with. That doesn't mean every day I get to do that. But when I see a need, yeah, we can, we can share our, our, our talents um, generously. Some other things that came up in the first service were um, even just listening, right? Taking time to listen to others and, and hearing what others' needs are. Um, having, having patience with each other. And I know personally in a fast-paced world, sometimes I lack the patience that I really ought to have. And that's not generous living when I'm short with my wife or my kids or anyone, for the co-workers for that matter. Um, Another thing that we can be generous with is our care, right? Guys don't always like the word love, but like we're called to love each other. And that means to care, that means to like, to appreciate, respect, all those things. Girls, you were probably already there. You didn't need that extra explanation. But, but that's what it looks, looks like. So how, how good are, are we at some of these things? You know, money is easy to measure, but how good are we at spending time? With, with the church body? How good are we? How, 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 um, how much are we willing to sacrifice and take away for the greater good? Do we know people? Do we, do we know where God's taking, taking them, what their paths are? Uh, would we, if we, if we looked, looked to your right and your left, would you know how to pray for that person? Um, what's God done in their life? What's God teaching them? So those are some challenges, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about, about, uh, about how, what Scripture says uh, about that and how we might get there and grow in those areas. But, so let, let me shift gears first. Let's talk about the first passage. Josh was speaking from Romans 12, and I'm going to go to Romans 12 as well, verse 1. This, this Scripture talks about dying to self, which is bigger than just our topic this morning. But, but Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
So we're called to, to sacrifice, which isn't necessarily intended to be easy, right? Um, we might have to take away some things that we would have preferred to do to, to do something for others, to assist, to help, to show care. Um, we might have to um, forego a certain pleasure that we would have enjoyed. Um, but when we use it, uh, our gifts, our times, our, our, our cares for others, and we follow his instructions and his example and his expectation, we're, filling, we're, we're fulfilling God's, God's will in that way. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 also talk about this. Uh, it says in, in this uh, scripture, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We've read this recently, haven't we? This is, this is a, a common repeating uh, topic. Uh, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So naturally we're selfish, but we're, we're instructed uh, to look at the interests of others and consider others more important than ourselves. The, the next scripture I want to take a look at um, is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And just to set this up, Paul um, had, had just been, I think it was in Philippi, and he's, he's on his way now to um, uh, Thessalonica, or he's in Thessalonica with his ministry partners and team. And they're ministering to this group. I think he's only, only there for a few weeks. But, but despite only having been there for a few weeks, he develops a deep bond, and he really cares for these people. So in that, that verse it says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also of um, how holy and righteousness and how righteous and blameless was our conduct toward uh, you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So in this, we see Paul and his, his, his ministry partners uh, making sure that they're not a burden to the group that they're ministering to. Um, and then sharing their lives and developing relationships and care for each other. I was reminded of, of um, my trip to Kenya in 2015 uh, with, with uh, some folks from Lakeview. We had a shirt that uh, I think it was Sammy from, from, um, from that particular ministry had, put, uh, had gathered or had put together. And it said it actually had verse 8 right on it. And it, it, it talked about sharing our very lives together. And, and I remember when I was in Kenya and after spending a couple weeks there... Um, how much I enjoyed that and how much I really got to know people. And I thought, oh, I want to come back. I still think to this day, like, I want to go back. Not just because Kenya is a cool place and different than Wisconsin in winter, but because um, they're wonderful people. The, the final verse that I want to call your attention to this morning is John chapter 13, verse 34 uh, and 35. I have the second half here. Um, it says, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so, must, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, have, if you love one another. So what would that really look like if, if we loved one another? Do we look different to others 
in, in our community because of, because of this command. Jesus implies that it does look different, that people will know that we're different because we do this. I think it's pretty challenging for man to do this. So from these scripture passages, we know that living generously, in doing that, we're called to, to sacrifice, put others in front of our own needs, uh, to, to maybe even let go and free up some time and space uh, to pull others in or to go out to others, uh, to share our lives, and then to, to develop care. Jesus, Jesus, I always like to look at Jesus' example if I can, uh, in scripture, and Jesus, for, uh, he, he didn't have a lot of fun, uh, funds. There's only one story in the Bible of Jesus having some money, and he miraculously pulls that out of the mouth of a fish. Um, so we're not asking you to do that. But when you look at things Jesus did do, is he spent time with people. He was invited to homes. He was invited to dinner. Um, he blessed people with his presence. Um, and he, he, he met people where they were and made that encounter about that other person. A lot of the stories we read about Jesus are kind of the interruptions that he had that he wasn't necessarily planning on. Um, but in doing that, he met, he, again, he met those people where they were. He, he, he obviously knew the woman at the well, I think we read about recently, or perhaps that was in a devotional um, for, from removing the high places um, that we're doing as a church. And um, yeah, Jesus welcomed them. He didn't get angry. So practically, practically, how do we grow? We've talked about what it could look like. Um, it's it's always it's often challenging to think. How do I go from here to there? Or if I my schedule's full, I'm a busy guy. I have four kids. They're actually pretty quiet today. Um, I'm impressed. Um, but how do, I, how do I get there? And I think, I don't always know the path, um, but, but I think the first step is fairly clear, right? We need to, we need to do, this is actually really in line with, with removing the high places. We need to stop and think about what, what is in my life that I might need to remove and prayerfully consider how God can check our focus. What needs to be reduced, removed, so that I can invite others in or I can go out to others. The next step is really intentionally doing something to get to know people that are a part of the body even more, right? More than just coming on a Sunday, which is wonderful. I'm glad you're all here. Um, but doing something where we can get to know each other at a deeper level, knowing our stories enjoying a meal together, inviting someone to a meal, inviting someone to something you're already doing. I think that as we do these things, we'll, get, we'll, we'll start to like it, right? It's kind of like when I got to Kenya and I was overwhelmed by some of the stuff, that, the training that I was helping out with, but I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. It, would, it grew on me, and, and, the, and the relationships with the people grew on me. And I do think that as we, as we grow in this area, and as our church becomes a church that follows more along the lines of what God's design is, God will take joy in that, will enjoy it, will look different to others. So my question to you is, can we grow in this area like you? Can, are you? Are we willing to take a step? Maybe even the first step? Let me pray. 
and then we can go on our way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your instruction today from, from Josh about being living in harmony, um, considering how we react to things and maybe where our motivations are, our selfish uh, thoughts. And we pray, Lord, that as we think about living generously, that our lives would, would be different than what just our selfish desires might want them to look like. I pray that you, you would... You would make us aware of things that we can, can remove, things that we might do less of so that we can do more of your, your work, your desire. Grow us as a family, Lord. Um, bless bless our, our generosity. And, and may we as Lakeview make you, make you proud and give you joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed and have a good week.